0: This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org. Overseen by the Uluga'a Church of Christ in Uluga'a, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening. Okay, thank you for joining me today. We're picking up today in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26. This is study number 40. Uh, we finished last time, or we ended last time. Uh, we were talking primarily about Judas uh, and his betrayal of Christ and him uh, leaving uh, it would appear before the institution of the Lord's Supper. So we look at John 13, verse 31. Uh, so we're picking up in Matthew 26 and verse 26. Uh, and uh, this really deals with the actual institution of the Lord's Supper from verse 26 uh, through verse 30. Uh, this also can be found here, I have have it, can be found here in Mark 14, uh, 22 through 26. Luke twenty-two, fourteen through 23. And then again in First Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 26. So beginning in Matthew 26 and verse 26, the Bible says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink this I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the, king, until the day when I drink it new with you, my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So jumping back here in verse 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it. Uh, Jesus did four things here. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Uh I'm sure many of you are aware that some congregations, you, when you are present in the, or, uh, when you're in the actually partaking of the Lord's Supper, uh, when the bread is passed or when it used to be pre-COVID, um, <laughs> uh, it would have it in little squares sometimes, or sometimes some will use larger pieces of, uh, I don't know if you call it a wafer, but uh, of unleavened bread. I'll, really looks like a saltine almost sometimes. Uh, and and uh, they will break that. Uh, some congregations uh, will have that. Some will have it in little squares. You don't actually have to break it. Um, it doesn't seem in this context that break it, literally breaking it is a focal point. Uh, we do know that the focal point is on the the unleavened bread being, representing his body and the fruit and of the vine representing his blood. The breaking of the bread it's not something I think we sh- we have to try to bind upon some, uh, some congregations will, will, will have it where you break it. Some will have it a little square. Some I, I've been told we'll actually have both. <laughs> um, I, I don't see where that, where the actually physically breaking the bread as, is part of the, uh, the fruit of the, for part of the Lord's supper or something that is binding. The focus is on the unleavened bread being his body and the fruit of the vine being his, his blood. Um, but, you know, if a congregation wants to break it or wants to have the little little squares of, of, of unleavened bread, um, I don't see a problem with either, either one. Uh, but I don't see where we can say from Scripture that you have to break the bread. Um, but anyway, there's my tidbit about that. Uh, he broke it, no doubt, referring to what was going to happen to his body. Um, it was broken in the sense that he uh, he was beaten before for the cross. He was he was nailed to the cross. Is not broken in the sense that no bones were broken. We know that there was no bones broken, uh, but it was broken in the sense it was given or offered up on behalf of us. Uh, and then he says, uh, "Take, eat. This is my body." There in verse uh, twenty six. Is uh, using a metaphor. He says, this, that is the action of taking and eating the bread, represents in their minds what happened to his body. Um, I haven't heard about this a long time, uh, in a long time, and perhaps some know this and some don't, but the Catholic faith, uh, and again, I say this, and there's a possibility that some groups do not teach this. I don't know, because to be honest, they change over time. I don't know. Uh, but some will believe in what's called, transubstantiation is the idea that when you put the bread in your mouth that literally becomes the flesh of christ that's not that's not possible and it is not what christ was trying to make understand it is figurative in nature uh it really almost becomes like it's it almost kind of hints at towards the idea of cannibalism he's talking about it becomes his flesh um but it is not literally becoming his flesh, as we as we should well know. Uh, it is only figurative of that. Uh, he says in verse 26, Take ye, this is my body. This is what? This is representative of my body. It wasn't literally his body, right? I mean, he was still alive, staying there. This is my body. This is what? This is representing my body. Uh, the unleavened bread there. Uh, in verse 26. Uh, Brother Patterson says here the pronoun this is neuter. That is the the English, uh, in the English form of it. he says is neuter and shows that we have that that what I have just said is so and also that is not referring to the bread that this is not referring to referring to the bread literally and actually turning into the body of Jesus. Uh, take and eat are two heirs. He says are two heirs imperatives. This indicates their expected actions. This memorial reminds us of the death of Christ for our sins, there in verse 26. Take, eat, this is my body, this is the bread, blessed and broke it. How we know it was unleavened? Uh, Because unleavened was part of of the Passover. They had to have unleavened bread. They couldn't have any leavening uh, in in their homes. Uh, And we know that unleavened bread, when you take it and you break it, what does it do? It actually cracks, right? It breaks. I mean, you can't break uh, leavened bread you know if you get normal we call bread we make you know sandwiches or whatever with um, you don't break that you tear it or you cut it but you can break the bread it shows it was unleavened it was hard right um, verse 27 says here then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins verse 27 uh, he took the cup. The cup is put for the contents of the cup, the fruit of the vine, which represented his body. You can't drink a physical cup; you can only drink the contents of that cup. Um, the emphasis is not upon the cup, but upon the contents of it. Drink ye all of it. Does not mean that they were to drink all of the contents. Rather, it means uh, that all of them, that apostles, were to drink of it. All of them were to drink from that and drink of the fruit of the vine. Uh, verse 28, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Verse 28. Uh, four here indicates the reason for partaking of the bread and the cup. This is my blood of the new covenant, or covenant, or excuse me, this is my bread of the new testament, or covenant, which means an agreement or a contract between two, that is God and man. The word the word is used here also for a will because it becomes uh, operative at death. Hebrews 9, verse 15 through 17. The expression, the blood of the covenant, is used also in Exodus 24, and verse 8. This New Testament is the New Covenant of Jeremiah, verse, Jeremiah 38, and Hebrews chapter 8. He says here also in verse 28, for remission or forgiveness. His death on the cross is a basis for our forgiveness of of sins. Some questions and comments on the so-called one cup issue, on which some have made a law where God has not made uh, the one cup, um, there is no command of the one cup. There is no implication here that they were to use the one cup. In fact, uh, to my knowledge, the only time you find the one cup mentioned here is when Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. Uh, you have to remember the, the twelve disciples and Christ, exception of Judas, they're now eleven there, um, were very close-knit. I mean, you have the inner three, Peter, James, and John, but they were still close-knit. Uh, and this drinking from the same cup, what's to show closeness? Uh, today we do not drink from, from one cup. Uh, I know some will do so. And, and let's be very clear. If you want to drink from one cup, it's not sinful. It is the binding saying you have to do this or you're in sin. That's where we run into trouble. If a congregation wanted to drink of one cup, then in all reality, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't agree with it. Um... But there's nothing simple about drinking from one cup and passing around. Um, I have a lot of issues with that for health reasons but um, to the, where we get into sins where we say you have to do this or you're wrong and you're an error. There are that is binding it we say sometimes. Well you bind this on if you make it binding, it's sinful because you have no you have no scriptures giving us proof that this is a binding example. Is this a binding example of this one cup? No, it is not. Um some questions and comments on on the one cup issue. Uh some will say we must use only one cup in the in the observance of the communion. Some say the text is literal and, and a binding example. Since examples have to have a common uh have to have a command behind them, where is the command or implied command to have only one piece of bread and one drinking cup? Keep in mind they had only and the brother Patterson points this out, they only had one piece of bread, right? Doesn't mention anything else. Um since uh uh remember this why would why would not the fact that the disciples met in the upper room be bound on us? well, I don't know of any congregations are that bind this not among the churches of the christ anyway um that's that is what that is if we use the reasoning of the one cup brethren, but how many worship on the second floor if one is binding. In this, then, much more has to be binding, right? Then the the one the one loaf of bread, or the one I say a loaf, one bread, uh, the upper room has to be binding. Um, several things, you know, all those have to be binding, not just one. That's that's a problem we run into many times today when people start binding things that uh, they they pick. We bind the one cup, but not the one piece of bread that has to be broke because. What well, you know? They only there's only twelve people there. Was these were then to to break off at least some of the bread and pass it around? Yeah. What if you got a congregation of eighty people? They're just spitballing a number. You only, you only have one one bread, right? One one loaf to use that term of unleavened bread. That better be a big one. Uh, one cup. How big is that cup going to be? See, we have to we have to put a little bit of logic into this. Could you? I mean, do you go back and refill that cup over and over again? Is it still one cup if you're all drinking from it, if you're refilling it? I mean, the, con- the focus, again, is not on the cup. That's a problem we run into with those what we call sometimes one-cuppers. I don't like to use that term because it sounds very derogatory. Uh, but those who use only one cup, um, they put the focus on the cup. The focus is not on the cup. Christ doesn't pray for the cup. He only prays for the contents of the cup. He prays concerning the fruit, the, the, the fruit of the vine. And so as we look here, uh, we go back here just one second, looking at verse uh, verse 27. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. Is he praying for the cup, well, the little physical cup, the container, or is he praying for concerning the, the fruit of the vine? Well, let's keep reading. Well, this is my blood. Well, the blood can't be the cup because blood is fluid, right? Blood is liquid. It has to be the contents. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed. You might shed cups. No, you shed blood. Representing the fruit of the vine. Again, the fruit of the vine. Which is shed for many for remission of sins. But city, you will not drink of this fruit of the vine from from now on. Is it drink from what? The cup from now on? Or the fruit of the vine? The fruit of the vine is referencing what we consider today grape juice, right? So again, it's the contents of the cup until that day, I'm going to drink it new with you, my Father's kingdom. Uh, You don't drink a cup. The focus is for the vine, for the vine, for the vine, for the vine, not cup, 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 cup. And so to say that one has to use only one cup is, and to bind that, is sinful. Uh, Looking at verse 29, he says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine. From now on, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Verse 29. This verse implies that Jesus partook, but he would not again until the kingdom came. Drink it new implies a new kind and different quality of fellowship, and drinking with us in the fruit of the vine in the kingdom. Until that day when I drink it new, refers to the communion we have with each other uh, each first day of the week when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, And so... We're drinking new with you my father's kingdom uh the kingdom the kingdom is representing the church well we know an expert too is when the church came into existence right uh drinking it new applies a new and different quality of fellowship and drinking with us and drinking with us the fruit of the vine in the kingdom uh, again, until the day when I drink it new refers to the communion we have with each other first uh, with 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 him each first day of the week when we partake of the Lord's supper. I may have mis- I may have turned that around earlier. Uh, refers to to the communion we have with him, that is Christ, each first day of the week when we partake of the Lord's supper. So when he says here. Uh, When I drink it new with you, it's referenced, is the idea that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, each and every Sunday, each and every Lord's Day, the first day of the week, we are having what? We are having fellowship with him. We are partaking of it with him at that time. Uh, When the church is coming into existence, he says, When I drink it new with you, my Father's kingdom, Was a reference to the church. Uh, Verse 30, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, The reason we can say that this is referencing Christ and our fellowship with Him, we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's because we are in fellowship with Christ, aren't we? I and mean, we have to admit we are in fellowship with Christ. Once we become a Christian, we when we have obeyed the gospel, and we become a Christian. We are now in fellowship with Christ. We talk about that all the time, but yet when we get to this part, people sometimes say, "Well, no, that's exactly exactly what He's talking about. We we are in fellowship with Christ when we are when we are obedient flowers of Him." And here, this partaking of the Lord's Supper is another example of how we're in fellowship with him. We drink it anew with him in the kingdom of God. And, and, and in that sense, we have fellowship with him. We are in fellowship with him when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, we, we are obeying his command, and we are uh, communing with him. We, talk about, we call it communion sometimes. Well, what we're we doing, we're communing with God. Uh, we are communing, yes, with, with Christ. We are in fellowship with him. And so that's the idea here in verse twenty-nine. Not uh, physically Christ coming back to the earth and, and drinking the fruit of the vine, in, in new in the, in in the church. That's not what. That doesn't seem to be the reference here, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't fit uh, because we know the church did not begin until Christ ascended, and so it must be the idea of it must. It fits more accurately that we are in fellowship with him when we partake of the Lord's supper in his kingdom, and that's when he will drink it new with us. Okay, so we're now looking at verse 31, of Matthew chapter uh, 26. And m- many headings are correct in what it says here. Jesus says Peter will deny him this very night, and that's from verse 31 through verse 35. Uh, this also can be found in Mark 14, verse 27 through 31, Luke 22, 31 through 34, and again in John thirteen, thirty-six through 38. So let's begin here by looking at, or continue rather by looking at Matthew twenty six and verse thirty one. Then Jesus said to them, All of you all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Verse thirty one. And so all of you will be offended, it means they will be displeased, and caused to have displeasure, and because of this, being trapped, they may have be they may be tempted to fall away. I will strike the shepherd, certainly refers to Christ, and that is no doubt referring to him being put on the cross. Uh, he says here in verse 31, And the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Well, the apostles, or the disciples at this point, will, will scatter. They will come back, but they do scatter. He says, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. What's? It's easy, I try not to be... Overly harsh when we talk about these types of things because it's easy to come back and be what I call a Monday morning quarterback. It means you can go back and say, well, they should have done this or this and this here. When if you're not in the midst of it all, if you're not there, you know, to use a football setting, if you're not there on the field, you don't. You're not always seeing what, what everyone else is seeing. And it's easy to go back on a Monday morning and critique everybody and act like, you know, you know more than everybody, like some of our commentators do. But when you look at the disciples, it's easy for us to say, well, they should have picked up on this. But when you're there in your moment and you're listening and everything that's going on, and considering who's talking, sometimes I think they just miss some things. And it's very clear that after his resurrection that they, did, they definitely did misunderstand some things or not fully understand some things. Because you find here in verse 32, what did Christ just say in Matthew 26, verse 32? But after I have been raised, so he just said that he, if he raised, referencing being raised from the dead, he obviously is going to die. Uh, they obviously are, or he's, he obviously is going to be raised. He says, "I will go before you to Galilee." After I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. There in verse thirty-two. Um, looking at verse thirty-three, but Peter answered and said to him, "If even even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble." Peter's heart many times is is in the right place. Uh, uh, I won't say all the time because none of us are perfect, and Peter proves that again later when Paul rebukes him to his face, uh, later when he gets carried away with with some hypocrisy, and and some later uh, times after Acts 2. But here in verse 32, 32, 33, Look what he says. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, even if everybody leaves and stumbles because because of you, because of who you are and what you say and what you teach and all those types of things, he says, "I will never be. I will never be made to stumble." That's a very big statement. That is a very, very big statement. And you know, I'm sure Peter was a very zealous person. He acted. Meantime,s. Seem seen very quickly without maybe he kind of he acts without really thinking things through sometimes especially prior to acts too um he's the one who you know begged christ let him come out to the water then he sank and christ had to save him uh he's the one here in, in in this account where he's saying no i will never stumble those are big words considering everything that's going on Picture yourself on their time period People are already being killed. John the Baptist has been beheaded because of what he did, you know, teaching the truth and, and telling Herod that he could not have his brother's wife, which would have been adultery. Uh, he was beheaded because of that. Yes, he was put in prison and later beheaded because of the promise he made, but he was beheaded. Um, others are going to be killed. Others have been killed. You know, We know also later in Acts, uh, in the book of Acts, that Stephen is, is stoned to death. Um and so people are, it's not uncommon for people to, to die for their faith. We, saw, we see it in the Old Testament as well. And so for Peter to say, even if all of I me mean to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. That's a big statement to make. And Jesus here uh, tells him, you're going to deny me three times. But also I think this is, I think also designed to think, we can only speculate some things. It's, it's designed, I think, to kind of bring him back down to earth <laughs> and also to warn him, Peter, that's not true. And, Christ is going to try to humble him, I think, by these statements. Uh, He's going to show his foreknowledge. And he's going to show that, Peter, you're not quite as strong as what you think. Looking at verse 34. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, assuredly, right? Which means, rest assured, there is no doubt. Uh, I say to you that this night, tonight, (laughs) basically saying, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Three times. Um that's a lot in one night. And for Peter to, to, to go from, I will never be made to stumble, to Christ telling you, you're going to deny me tonight. And before the rooster crows, you're, in fact, you're going to deny me three times. That's You'd think that'd be something for Peter to stop and think about. Again, kind of that, well, it's easy to look back and say, they should have done this. But you, you would, we would think, hopefully, that for us today, we can learn from this and think, you know what, we should stop and try to be more humble people because there's always a chance of us falling away, and us being scared and not doing what is right. Looking at verse 35, Peter said to him, even if I die, have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples, verse 35. Well, Peter would deny him three times. The others will run away when Christ is arrested. And so, um, Peter's going to fulfill that prophecy. And it is a prophecy. When you say this was going to happen in the future, even if it's that night, it's still a prophecy. And so, Uh, Peter's going to fulfill that, and Christ is again, so we shall be be able to show His foreknowledge what's going to happen. Uh, Now, next, and I know we're only have about uh, eight minutes or so left. Next, in verses 36 uh, through, let me see here, Uh, through verse 46, we have where Christ is uh, in the garden. Uh, we have Brother Patterson uses a heading, What Happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, verses 36 through verse uh, 46. And we're going to try to look at m- much of this as we can. We have not finished this section. But verse 36 and following, this is also found in Mark 14, uh, 32 through 42, and Luke 22, 39 through 46. So, beginning in Matthew 26, verse 36, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. Uh, Gethsemane uh, means literally an oil press. It's a name of a place at the foot of the Mount of Olives behind the, tor- the torrent Kidron. And this is from Strong's uh, dictionary there. So, it means literally an oil press. Um, I, I love the names, the meaning behind town names, city names, uh, the names of people. It's, you know, we talk about Bible things like this. Um, Christ was going to be hard-pressed. He's in a very very stressful time, and he stops at a garden in a place that is named. And, and this is, means an oil, an oil press. So he's, in, he's praying in the garden uh, of Gethsemane, and he is under great pressure. When he happens to stop at a place that literally means an oil press, being pressed hard, right? Uh, That's how Christ is. He's being pressed hard, right? He's under great pressure. He's under great uh, stress. And we know that as we'll see in a moment, as he begins to to pray to God. Now, looking at verse 37, the Bible says, And he took with him Peter and the two of the sons of Zebedee. Uh, Zebedee uh, literally means my gift. Uh, he was a fisherman of Galilee, the father of the Apostle James the Great, uh, and and John, and the husband of, uh, of Siloam. I uh, probably mispronounced that. And that's uh, from, again, from Strong's. So he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Deeply distressed. If Christ is deeply distressed, to me, I think that'd be almost scary. Uh to see the son of god who has done so much uh, so much teaching so much healing so many miraculous things cast out demons and he has foretold his death numerous times already the disciples don't really seem to pick up on just a whole lot of that uh, i won't say none of it but but not all of that and you stop at a garden and he tells them to stay here and i go and pray and he takes with them Three more, three—the inner three—Peter, uh, Peter, and and James and John, right? The two sons of Zebedee, uh, and they go a little bit closer, but then he—they still stay a little ways up, and he goes and prays. Uh, but he, he we find verse thirty-seven. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. If you're the three, if you're part of the inner three, I don't—it's not clear if the other disciples could have picked up on this prior to verse thirty-seven. It's a possibility, but in verse 37, he most definitely does begin to show, as the Bible says here, uh, sorrow and becoming deeply distressed. Not depressed, distress, meaning he was concerned, right? Uh, distress literally means to be troubled, uh, be, uh, anguish, uh, and so he was deeply troubled. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. To me, that's one of the most... This is, to me, when you get to this garden, you know, prior... We understand that Christ is at his weakest, probably physically, well, definitely physically, is, is when he is scourged and then, of course, crucified. Um, mentally, I think you could say he's probably at his greatest stress here in the garden. And yeah, I think you'd also could include, yes, during the scourging, during the trial, and then on the cross as well. Um, but... It's not unclear, you know, I think probably the most mental stress and physical stress would have to be on the cross. But I think the garden has to be the second one when it comes to mental stress. Uh, you know, we don't we don't have a clear indication about how stressed he was during the, the trial situation, so-called, as it was. No doubt he was stressed. But when he literally says here in verse 38, my, sor- my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death, that's stress. And so he is... Exceedingly mentally stressed, and then later he's going to be, yes, still mentally stressed, but then physically at his weakest point. Um, we we also I think have to include in there when we talk about the weakest point of Christ physically, we also have to think about Matthew 4 after he fasted for 40 days. But still the weakest point physically had to be the scourging and then to the cross, obviously. But here he is mentally, mentally stressed. Uh, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death, he says there in verse 38. Stay here and watch with me. He is begging those men basically to stay here, stay awake, and just stay here with me. Just wait with me. Um, I compare this today to those who, when someone who is greatly stressed or troubled, and a friend comes over to visit with you, and you ask, hey, we we just, we just pray with me? Now, Christ doesn't ask them to pray with him. But he does ask them to stay nearby, right? Stay here and watch with me. What are they watching for? <laughs> well... Uh, watch till the sun comes up, you know. Stay here and spend time with me. Uh, Christ could be alluding to wait here and watch with me till Judas and the soldiers come. Um, it's unclear exactly what all that could be referenced to, um, but it could be all those things. Uh, stay here and watch with me, he says, verse 38. Um, looking at verse 39 he went a little further and fell on his face. So the inner three are still behind him. They're not right there with him when he's praying there. There's, he goes a little bit farther and he falls on his face. The Bible says, and he prayed saying, Oh father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Those are extremely powerful words to, to consider. If it, if it is possible, possible. Let this cup pass for me. Now, this cup he's referencing seems it has to be a reference to the the trial, the scourging, the cross, death. That has to be what's a reference to. Nothing else seemingly fits. Let this cup pass from me. Why? Because this is not pleasant. This is going to be horrendous. Listening to all these naysayers talk against me, uh, your most liberal and the news news network that you can't stand the most and imagine being being at being having having to listen to them you know basically convict you to die Um, and then all those spiritual leaders spiritual leaders right the chief priests the elders the scribes the Pharisees the Jews of course who hated they all hated him the Jews were there the the the, they're definitely the focal point during the uh, when it comes to his those who despise him, the Jews are number one, especially during this section. Uh, all those things, and then, and then being scourged, which is beaten to the inch of, basically, to the, almost to the point of death, um, and then you're crucified, and you're still mocked during all that. During, you know, the during the, the trial, during the scourging, during your going to the cross, during the time you're on the cross, and he says, "Let this cup pass from me." It's not that he doesn't want to save mankind. I don't, think, I don't think there's any doubt he wants to save mankind. The idea seems to be here in verse 39 is if there's any other way, basically, if it is possible, if there's some other way, let's cut past for me. But then he says, notice, nevertheless, not as I will. It's not that Christ doesn't want to save mankind. I don't think that's the idea here at all. In fact, I'm confident that's not the idea here at all. The idea here is if there's another way to save mankind, let's do that instead. He basically says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Meaning, it's not up to me, it's up to you. I'll do whatever you want. That's the idea we find in verse 39. I will do whatever you want. Even if it is this cup referencing all those horrible things he has endured already, and the things he's going to endure in the future for the sake of mankind. If it means that, he'll do it. Um... This statement, Mister. Patterson says, is an example for all time as to what men should do. Our world may be may be infinitely better if we have this attitude of Jesus. This leaves the decision as to what to do completely in the hands of God. Uh, The approaching agony and death, again referencing his cup uh, that he's referencing there in verse 39. Now, we are out of time for the time we have allotted for this. So, when we come back next time, we will pick up in verse 40. Uh, I would encourage you to read through this section a few times before we return, because uh, are, there are a lot of powerful things that are said uh, for us to consider in this section. So thank you for being here with me today. hope you'll join me again next time when we pick back up in Matthew 26 and verse 40, and hope to see you then. We well, thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleYMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.